Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Jasmine Verdi. Jasmine is a psychedelic educator and writer for the Synergetic Press. We have an awesome conversation. I hope you guys enjoy. Check me out on Instagram, at NoorKidWai. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And yeah, you can find us on the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records. So check them out too. But let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Jasmine Birdie. All right, welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Jasmine Verdi. Jasmine, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. Oh, no, this is going to be fun. Uh, psychedelics are probably my favorite um, topic, and you, uh, you're very immersed in the world, and you're a writer about it, and I've, you've written so many great articles about it. Uh, I do want to, I do kind of want to know a little bit about uh, your background. Like, why did you come into uh writing psychedelics and uh, what, what, what's your purpose in your writing yeah well why did I come into writing about psychedelics um, for the longest time I've been interested in mysticism since like my early teens or before that and I guess that turned me on to psychedelics in the first place and so I think after you know working with different medicines over the years I just had this feeling that I, I would love to work in some capacity with psychedelics but I didn't know what in what capacity and I think I've always felt an affinity for language and I've loved reading um, my whole life and books and language have helped to change and inspire me in my, my life so I think it, it kind of seemed like a natural progression, like, oh, well, I, I'm naturally good, at, you know, with language. So I and I really wanted to work with psychedelics. And I mean, I was kind of on the fringe or the peripheries of the psychedelic scene for some time, like, you know, going to certain courses and meeting people at conferences. And I think in the past, I had always felt like a, as well, like a little bit of an outsider, because a lot of the people I was um, surrounded by were like studying to be like psychotherapists or psychologists or neuroscientists and I'm like but I'm not I'm not a, I'm not in the sciences so um, yeah I ended up writing about psychedelics but yeah no that's not pretty cool and uh, where, where did you like uh, go to school and like uh, where did you like first start uh, even like experimenting with psychedelics I studied in Scotland in Glasgow um, yeah, the University of Glasgow. And um, I guess before I ever started university, like I grew up in Cyprus, which is a small island in the Mediterranean, really close to Turkey and Israel and Lebanon. Um, so it's kind of closer to the Middle East, but I grew up there and just, it's it's a really small place. Um, and I, I, I started becoming like interested in like alternative ideas. And as I mentioned, I was like, previously interested in mysticism and spirituality before I was ever in interested in psychedelics and mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, I think I, I used to spend a lot of time on, on the internet in my teenage years, and I, I discovered this YouTube channel called um, Neuro Soup. I forget the woman that run, ran it, Crystal something, but, um, you know, she would talk about LSD and so many other topics. But one of the videos of hers that I stumbled on was about LSD, Carl Jung, and the concept of the Godhead. And I was about, you know... 16 or 15 at the time and it, it just like I was like "Ooh, there are substances that can make you experience what I'm trying to get to by like you know spiritual practice so um it, it just fascinated me from then on and I I read a lot about psychedelics but growing up in Cyprus at least at the time I mean I wasn't connected with anyone that could like provide me access to these things or I didn't know how to go about it and so um yeah I I kind of thought well when I'm ready they'll they'll come to me and so it was in my second year of university that um I you know someone presented me with the opportunity of like um accessing some psilocybin mushrooms and so I I yeah I bought a substantial amount and had a very large dose experience by myself I mean I I had a I had had a smaller experience at a festival, but I really didn't like it because I, I think there's something maybe, I don't know, it depends on the festival you go to. But for me, there's something about certain festival culture or just drug culture where people are kind of ingesting to um, annihilate themselves or something to escape. Mm. And I, I had this small dose of psilocybin mushrooms at this festival and just felt really alone and I had also read so much about psychedelics beforehand. I had this idea of like, oh, I'm going to have this big spiritual experience. And like, may, you know, I didn't take enough and it wasn't the right setting. And so some months later, I decided, OK, well, yeah, I'd like to um, explore with psilocybin. I lived alone and um, yeah, it was a very beautiful, intentional experience. But it was it was a high dose and I would never kind of advocate for anyone else to do that by themselves so uh, basically like the Terrence McKenna hero dose is what you're talking about yeah but I, I mean it wasn't it wasn't through listening to Terrence McKenna that I decided to take that dose I think I just kind of like I I had ingested three grams and I was sitting like meditating for a while you know after having ingested those three grams and I think, you know, maybe a mistake from remembering my last experience and feeling like, oh, it wasn't enough and it didn't like take me to where I needed to go. And, you know, I was like, well, I had another three grams in a jar. Like I'd carefully measured out these things beforehand as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I just felt in that moment called to eat the other three grams. Where, and, you know, it's just that's what my intuition, you know, called me to do. Whether yeah. it was right or not, I don't know, but it was a choice I made. And do you think that uh, experience uh, kind of like changed you or like yeah, sent you on this path a little bit? Oh, totally. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think after that, it just became like, well, how I, I became so fascinated with the well psychedelic sub substances and plant medicines because I was like, well, how can like a plant or a chemical make you experience something like that like how is this realm of human experience possible and for me at the time it had kind of just shattered my whole idea of what reality was and so it was very formative and I was like well 
this is so profound. I, I felt compelled to learn more. And I guess I've devoted a large portion of my life to kind of investigating these things. Mm -hmm. No, that's actually amazing. And uh, I know what you're talking about, like, we can have one of those experiences, and then all of a sudden, like, it just kind of switches, like, which direction you think you're going to go in, because you're like, mm -hmm. yeah, I know that feeling of like, how the hell can like a substance do this to you? And like, you're like, what the hell did I just experience? And um, yeah, and also that whole thing you said about setting, like setting and psychedelics is so important. And like, I can understand being at a festival and um, also being your first time and you have an expectation of what these things are supposed mm -hmm. to do. And like, that just completely uh, just like destroys your expectation. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, so you now like you kind of like travel with like your psychedelic use kind of too like are you are you like I guess you, you, I would say like uh, you go to different spots and like actually see like the ceremony behind these like, psychedelics and the history and stuff is that a correct way of putting it? I, I think I've spent a lot of time in Mexico and like a small amount of time in Brazil but that's about it I think for me traveling is something I don't know, maybe related to my love for psychedelics, but I think I just love traveling also. And I'm, I have, yeah, I tend to live a more nomadic kind of lifestyle. And so, yeah, this is where I am right now kind of thing. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it had been one of the reasons that called me to go to Mexico and I planned on traveling through like Central and South America there after the, the well, last time I came here, but I just ended up falling in love with this country and just falling in love. So I guess it was mm -hmm. Mexico. So, yeah. That's a beautiful country. <laughs> and it's so rich with spiritual tradition as well. That's something I love about it. Where in Mexico are you right now? I'm living in San Miguel de Allende. It's a, yeah, it's a town in the state of Guanajuato. It's an old colonial town and um, a UNESCO World Heritage Site just because of the colonial architecture in the in the center of town it's really beautiful here oh no that's but very great. dry i'm like yeah missing <laughs> the water yeah i can understand that mm -hmm. <laughs> uh so uh i do want to know like uh when you like because uh, in a lot of your writing it seems like you have like a real understanding of like some of the ceremony and indigenous like practices behind these like um substances like so maybe we can just start with like uh brazil in particular you said you went to brazil and like you studied in like an ayahuasca course down there and uh yeah there's there's a course put on I mean now it's probably changed because of COVID but by the University of Campinas in Sao Paulo they do like a I guess a, for them it's a winter course but for you know the, the southern well, the northern hemisphere it's a summer course so um but they put on like a I think it was about a week long course um covering all these different aspects of ayahuasca um so it was kind of like and I, I went now it was in 2017 but I, I mentioned that you know I had this sense of in the past feeling a little bit out of place in the psychedelic community because I went to this course and everyone on the course is, is like a, a neuroscientist a pharmacologist um you know a botanist and I was like well I studied linguistics, you know, so I didn't know necessarily how, you know, how I could contribute to that space at the time. But um, yeah, it was a week long course about like the farm, like the pharmacology of ayahuasca, the toxicology of ayahuasca, the ethnobotany, anthropology. It was like um, 
yeah, very intensive and full packed. But at the end of that week, um, you know, we as students got to experience uh, like an ayahuasca ceremony. And the first thing that I realized is like, oh, you can learn so much about this, these kind of plants, but we really know nothing, you know? <laughs> yeah, because like at the end of the day, that experience is like, yeah, mm-hmm. just kind of completely mind blowing and just shatters everything you kind exactly. of know, right? <laughs> uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. You- yeah I guess like I guess like learning about the um like all of that like uh the kind of like the biochemistry and stuff that takes place with uh like ayahuasca like I I know that's like probably really valuable like did they each uh, teach you a little bit about like the ceremony behind it and the like indigenous route roots behind it I I think in well in Brazil there are two um ayahuasca churches and ayahuasca use is legal under religious freedom laws for those churches to use so there's the Santo Daime and the Uniao the Vegetal which is like the union of the plant um, or the union of the two plants, let's say. Um, And yeah, so the people that go to those churches aren't necessarily indigenous. Um, Maybe they they were started, um, I think, especially Santo Daime was started like by some of the, you know, African slaves that had been brought to Brazil to work as rubber cutters, Mm. you know, and they kind of met, um, some of these indigenous traditions and formed like syncretic churches that um, so they're they're quite different practices and to be honest I, I'm sad to say but I haven't yet experienced ayahuasca with an indigenous group it's more so just been like um, yeah neo-shamanic facilitators or in this more like santo daimic context but yeah the, the the santo daimic context I experienced either wasn't necessarily a traditional context either because I think they're um you know they they usually wear uniforms there's usually such a um a specific uh structure to their ceremonies um they're usually with the lights on and all of these things so they're very different actually from what people conceive of an as an ayahuasca ceremony because I think ayahuasca has kind of made its way to the west um Mm -hmm. through it's associated association with shamanism and things like that. So we think, oh, like lying down in a dark maloka, you know, throwing up into a bucket where these ceremonies are quite different. They're okay. like singing Christian hymns. And really? Okay. So like mm-hmm. uh, when I first started doing uh, ayahuasca, it was from the Shipibo uh, tradition. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I don't know if that, it was Peru where I figured it out. I don't know where else it is, but um yeah, like that's pretty much it. Like in a, we're in a maloca, which is basically just like a kind of like a jungle tent, like a big room kind of thing where all of us can lay down. We're in the dark. We throw up. They sing ikaros, which are like basically like the tribal mm-hmm. songs that like are kind of made from like, I guess, like thousands of years of like uh, just making these songs. But um, what's like, so what's kind of like the difference then like in these ceremonies? Because you're saying like, you're saying uh, they're singing like hymns, like it's more like an actual, like kind of like has like roots in like the church or what? Okay, well, it's the syncretic church. So there are like, there are aspects borrowed from Christianity. The same with like the American, the Native American church. It's like, considered a syncretic church. Like, you know, they use their sacrament, but some of their practices also are borrowed from Christianity in some way, you know? Mm. Okay. Mm. Well- that's pretty interesting. Um, and like, yeah. how many times have you uh, tried ayahuasca? 
Ayahuasca is a substance that I've worked with probably the least. Um, I've experienced more peyote, especially being in Mexico. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think ayahuasca all but three times. Okay. And yeah, they've all been in like very different kind of um, contexts. But the, the two of them were in like a neo-shamanic context. Um, okay. Yeah. And did it, uh, do you think it affects the trip a little bit? I, I guess that's a hard question to ask because every trip is very different. But uh, like, do you think like, you know, we always say setting does uh, like uh, give it a kind of like a flavor to the trip almost. Like, did you feel that mm -hmm. uh, with ayahuasca in the different settings? Oh, definitely. Like the first experience that I had was a very beautiful experience. It was really, really wonderful in so many ways and self-revelatory. But I think like, you know, the energy of that experience wasn't held as well as it maybe could have been. And so, yeah, I think there were certain elements of it, like seeing someone else, you know, in discomfort and that being like... Um, yeah, a challenging thing for me because maybe that situation wasn't, um, yeah, I mean, it was handled well, but maybe it could have been handled a different way if the energy was held a different way. So I think it does make a really big difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I completely understand what you say. And I'm just saying for my audience, you mind like kind of actually expanding on that? Like what do you mean by like the energy held like uh, during a ceremony? Well, I think anyone who is a facilitator of a ceremony needs to have a capacity for holding space for other people because in a plant me medicine ceremony, whether it's ayahuasca or psilocybin or even, you know, it could be MDMA, whatever kind of, you know, um, psychedelic or medicine ceremony you are engaged in, there are always people that are going to have different experiences. And sometimes it's hard to you know, in, in, in the medicine state, sometimes it's hard to verbally communicate with someone for a while. Sometimes, um, you know, it, like even an experienced practitioner, the first ceremony I went to, I watched a guy who was a really experienced practitioner actually have a really bad time. He was kind of like, um, he just kind of keeled over on the floor and he was convulsing. And I think, when I looked at him I saw his whole body kind of disfigured or dismembered and like it was all kind of like his head was severed and his arms and legs and you know it was a reflection of the bad time that he was having and I think um yeah that there needs to be someone or uh, you know people there who are equally um experienced and there were but I think think that those people in this specific ceremony had a lot of other things to navigate and maybe you know this guy needed some different support in that moment he was fine in the end and it, um but yeah there are also like tools and technologies that one can use in ceremonies and I think like shamans um or shamanic practitioners often use the smoke of tobacco or you know different herbs and um things like rapé or japé, which is like um, a snuff tobacco um, mixed with the ash of different plants. So, I mean, there are all of these tools and it, it also, I think, is really important for like ceremonial practitioners to um, hold the space in terms of like keeping everyone together. 
because you know there could be a person who um yeah for some reason or other they just decide oh they're gonna go and walk off over here in this direction and if they're supported maybe they do need time on their own for a minute but I think like the way I see ceremonies is kind of like like a group prayer it's about the community and we're all praying together and we might have our own individual healing to do but there there's like a by keeping everyone together in the same prayer circle you're kind of concentrating that energy and if you let all these people you know just go off the prayer is kind of like um yeah it's not collectively held it's disparate in some way yeah no uh that's actually wonderfully said uh yeah thanks for sharing that um yeah one thing I also liked how you were saying is like how it's crazy how many different like plant substances that we can use like with ceremony to like help in the ceremony like you were saying tobacco is one of the main ones and if you have like that organic tobacco that they use in ceremonies like the smoke they say has like such a spiritual component to it Uh, I'm not 100% sure the exact uh, use of the tobacco but I remember there were also like when I was at an ayahuasca ceremony, there were also like a lot of different um, like plant es- essences and stuff. And like, if you were like completely out of your head and you're like freaking out, like, oh my God, like this ayahuasca trip's way, way too intense. Like they would just let you like smell this one plant. I think it was spruce. I'm not even remembering which one it was, but it was like just a plant and you smell it. And all of a sudden it just brings you right back into your body and grounds you completely. And you're just like, how the hell did that even work? Like, it just doesn't make Mm -hmm. sense. But uh, no, yeah, thanks for sharing that because that Mm -hmm. is one aspect of those ceremonies that I just find so fascinating, right? And even Icaros themselves are like, you know, well, they're tools in a way, those songs to bring you back or to take you um, in a certain direction. And music itself and ceremony is becomes a tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like uh, my last time I did uh, ayahuasca, I, I finally because I've been doing it, working with it for years. And like, finally, like I actually started to like feel the Icaros. So for people who don't know, Icaros is the music the shamans are singing. And uh, sometimes they'll come right up to you. And like the way they describe it, like I, I was talking to the shaman and he was, uh, he was describing it as like, when he looks at you, he sees like different patterns, like geometric patterns. And like, he can see where your energy's off. So like when he sings into you, He's just trying to like uh, ease your energy and like actually let it flow properly. And uh, I felt it for the first time in the la- my last ceremony where like uh, I felt him singing into me and like I felt like me just opening up and my energy starting to move. And like I actually like got up when I was laying down because it was just so powerful. And I was just like, yeah, to just see like how this can be used as a tool. And uh yeah, that's probably why linguistics is probably a great thing to be a part of going into the psychedelic community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay, like now let's, uh, I want to talk a little bit about peyote as well. This is something I have uh, zero experience with. And I just want to kind of know uh, what uh, what draw you to it. Um, why do you think uh, you uh, ended up uh, using that a little bit uh, more for your healing? Yeah, I I think it maybe is in some way kind of just circumstantial. Um, It just happened to be, well, actually, I went to the desert here, um, San Luis Potosí. There is the 
Well, there's an indigenous group in Mexico called the, the Huirrarica, but they're, they're also commonly referred to as Huichole, the Huicholes or Huichol. And um, yeah, they, they are the only indigenous group in Mexico that work with peyote um, currently. And um, their, their sacred place, the birthplace of peyote is uh, the desert, Wirikuta, or as they call it, but it's quite a, it's a big region. So Las, Mar Las Margaritas is there and a few other places, but I ended up going to Las Margaritas kind of on a road trip and I didn't really eat peyote on that trip, but just spending time in the desert, um, I, I just felt very connected to it. And obviously like, you know, you can walk around and um, it's, it's crazy also how the plant will reveal itself to you if you leave, well, you know, leaving some offerings there and things like that. So I came back from this trip and um, I had a dream of a blue deer and um, the blue deer is sacred in their tradition. Um, peyote grew in the footsteps of the blue deer and so uh, I had a dream of this deer and then it just happened the next week someone said oh you know I, I'm going to this peyote ceremony and um, would you like to join me so okay I, I felt like it was um, like an invitation from you know more than my friend the universe in a way I, I kind of feel like life is like that it invites you um um, to participate in it in certain ways. So I, I decided to go to the ceremony and it was just so beautiful and profound. And um, yeah, since then I have been to several others um, and it, it's just a really beautiful, med gentle medicine in one way. I find it for me, my experiences with peyote have been like less visionary than an ayahuasca experience you know more grounded and um yeah just being able to work with like things on a somatic bodily level mm -hmm. but um I also just love the format of the ceremonies that I've been to um and I've been to ceremonies mostly with um huichol or huiraraka maracames which is their word for like a uh, man of knowledge or uh, shaman medicine man if you like okay. and so um yeah these ceremonies that I went to um and of course I think they're slightly like adapted for westerners in some way or just like you know mestizo people also yeah. um so but it, it they last all night long so you know you start the ceremony at like nine eight nine p.m and you finish it like after the sun rises and they're they're quite intense physical work in some way to be sitting up all night and um depending on the maracame like um I don't know at least the one that I sat with a couple of times in ceremony like he was a, a more strict maracame and you know you shouldn't lie down in the ceremony you shouldn't take your shoes off because it was kind of disrespectful there's a certain way to move around the circle and what I really loved about it though is that there's a point in which um you know the the maracame opens up the circle for anyone who wants to share or pray in some way and so it feels like more maybe it's, it's just a very cohesive experience where you're like connecting with this group of people and um yeah you just kind of pray or share what's in your heart in those moments and 
just for me connecting with my own intentionality in that space and having other people witness it uh it it was just so profound and so that's what led me to you know pursue that more yeah that's amazing and uh yeah i couldn't uh imagine sitting up all night <laughs> that's uh one thing with uh, ayahuasca i usually drink it and just lay right down <laughs> um so you're saying it's uh a little bit more of a gentler uh, experience, right? And like a little bit more grounding. Grounding, yeah. I mean, it can also be like, you know, for, for like hard in some ways. I think you get the medicine you need or the experience you need. Of course, but, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel like in terms of like, well, I've, I've experienced peyote and also San Pedro. Um, which is another mescaline containing cactus uh, or wachuma it's also called yeah uh, which is indigenous to or native to peru i believe but um the times that i've experienced like you know mescaline as opposed to like a, you know ayahuasca which contains um um dmt is i just find it it's just a little bit less Ayahuasca is very visionary for me. I don't know. I think it must be different for many people, but I think the D DMT has a quality in which there's just this like alien world revealed. And I just feel like it's quite different with um, like, you know, mescaline containing plants. Yeah. And uh, I, I like the one thing I've uh, noticed and I've heard a lot of people talk about, um, like all these plants kind of have their like, uh, like and like I think the natives would call it spirit like they would say like yeah. every plant has its spirit and uh, you know sometimes the more I get involved in it I sometimes start using that language a little bit more like uh, I guess with my western mind I always used to be like yeah these plants all have their little flavor and stuff but like now it kind of does sometimes feel like it has its like own spirit behind it and you're right like ayahuasca to me has like kind of a alien vibe to it like something a little bit outer to it I always feel that uh, a different kind of presence that's just like yeah it's hard to explain but it's just like completely out of this world when I'm when I'm on it but um you say like uh yeah how do you kind of look at that like that whole idea of like kind of like the different spirits behind the plants and the substances yeah like I've heard a lot recently like the argument that you know, synthetic substances and their like chemicals are kind of, yeah, identical to the plants. And I, I don't know, I think I'm more of a transpersonalist, like I'm more spiritual. And um, I think for my, in my own beliefs, I do believe that these plants have their own spirits, you know, and we're kind of communicating with them to some extent, um, mm -hmm. as opposed to it's just kind of like a result of pharmacology. But I think also like, pharmacologically speaking like if you were to eat like synthetic mescaline versus like um peyote or um san pedro i think that of course it would have a slightly different effect because there are so many other alkaloids in both cacti you know and i think they could probably come together to you know have some kind of synergistic effect that is maybe we just haven't studied or something like that so I think in one sense there, you know, pharmacologically, they, these things, you would have a slightly different experience maybe, or it might be subtle, but I also think like also spiritually, there's a, yeah, there's a value. Yeah, I, I agree completely, actually. Um, 
even with like ayahuasca i know like now everybody's like dmt like smoking dmt has become like a very uh popular thing i've never tried it but um yeah from like just listening to people's um experiences with it it just seems like two very very different trips and uh i can't say too much about smoking it but like um i don't think it's nearly as transformative because you're talking about all of a sudden like going from a six seven hour ayahuasca experience where like uh the changes happen slowly and like usually you can like remember a lot of your experience afterwards you go into like a 15 minute uh, experience where you just smoked it which is so intense like usually you come back and you don't really remember most of it so like yeah I think uh there's definitely something to say about like taking it uh compared to like just like refining it down to like just the chemical and taking it yeah I mean DMT is also smokable like in a natural form which comes from well there's two types of DMT so there's NN dimethyltryptamine which is the DMT and found in ayahuasca and many plants but then there's 5-MeO DMT and that one is found in a toad called Bufo alvarius and so that toad, they, they milk the secretions of the toad or like its glands and it produces this secretion as like a, you know, a stress response. And anyway, so that drying the secretion and it dries into a powder, you can smoke that powder. And so I think that's a very kind of common thing nowadays. And that that is a natural DMT, you know, okay. smoking trip. But 5-MeO five, five has, you know... If it has a different feel to it than NN dimethyltryptamine, like smoking the two mm. in the sense that, I don't know, I've heard other people and also myself, like, uh, well, I, I would describe it as like this, just this very golden um, white light experience of like, yeah, just God or the universe, whatever you want to call it. Um, just this complete like, merging and nothingness or oneness I don't know whether <laughs> like just regular DMT smoking that it's just been like oh here's a praying mantis which is coming to abduct you and put you in a strange room and try sensations out on you like you know so they're very different experiences <laughs> yeah, I don't know which one I would prefer <laughs> <laughs> so you tried the you tried the natural one too from like the extract I, I personally haven't tried um, Bufo. I have only, well, I've tried a synthetic version of it. So, you know, again, mm. like I, I can't say the difference between the two, but um, I've only tried the synthesized version. But I think also nowadays there are people like pushing for the synthesized version or maybe like a fringe group of people because like these toads are becoming endangered. ha, <laughs> ha yeah damn all right uh, and i i heard like even with peyote like you saying that's kind of becoming endangered too i read in one of your yeah. articles yeah it's considered a vulnerable species but i think at the local level in like the state of texas it's considered like endangered at the yeah, at the local level um okay. but yeah i think researchers have been like talking about the endangerment of peyote since the, the 1960s um i think like many like hippies got turned on to peyote um through the works of aldous huxley like his doors of perception in which he you know ingests mescaline the active um, compound in peyote and also the works of uh, carlos castaneda who uh yeah who wrote uh, what was it the teachings of don juan 
um yeah he has a series of books that are amazing and anyways that's that's kind of like tangential but um <laughs> yeah so I think you know people through those um through that literature got turned on to like the psychoactive properties of peyote mm-hmm. um and actually I spoke for that article that you're referring to I wrote for psychedelics today uh, it's called indigenous voices in peyote conservation but I spoke to um uh, an indigenous woman, she's a Shoshone um, researcher rese- researching, um, I guess, peyote, peyote habitats, like um, um, populations at the University of Idaho, I think. But she, she actually said to me that there is a plant, um, I think it's called Astrophytum or Astro, I need to get back to you with the name. It looks just like very, very similar to peyote and so I think in the 1960s when a bunch of you know people went to the desert seeking this um, mystical plant that they mistook this astrophytum plant for peyote and so they drove those populations into like you know near um, not extinction but you know Mm -hmm. uh, they made those populations of that that plant endangered and so she was kind of saying in a way this other plant took a a hit for peyote but yeah I guess as we continue to traverse the psychedelic renaissance more and more people are interested in these compounds like yes people go to the desert and try to um, find peyote is one reason why there might be dwindling populations but I think um, there there's so many other reasons like um, yeah kind of it's mostly well it's also exploitative kind of land practices or land management practices so you know turning um, habitats into farmland or building wind turbines mining for um, gas and oil um, all of these kinds of things are disrupting um, the the natural habitat makes sense yeah no that's uh that's uh, interesting um, all right. So like you did mention the cultural or the psychedelic renaissance, which is like, uh, it is true. Like right now, I, it seems like this is just becoming like more like in the cultural zeitgeist right now. And everyone's like thinking about it, like maybe trying it. Lots of people are trying it for the first time. Like uh, when, like if you were giving advice to people who are just getting into this and like they are going to go and they, they want the like full experience of a ceremony and they want to heal that or they want to like get in touch with themselves or whatever there is like what what's like your advice to them to like maybe to prepare for a journey or and like set an intention for a journey and like even prepare for the backside of the, the journey for like the integration and everything mm-hmm. but you're talking about ceremonial use specifically or kind of just like also self-exploration with with psychedelics I, I think I would say like a little bit of both, like uh, mm-hmm. more of just like not using it in like a party way or like, yeah, not, you know, like, uh, but like using it, yeah, using it for like a self-development or self, uh, self-exploration kind of way. Yeah, I would say like, well, psychedelic integration is kind of a new term, um, but it's kind of like an older concept which is kind of embedded in transpersonal psychology more broadly and um, Ken Wilber has spoken a lot about like um, yeah integration as well so I think um, 
for me, especially with psychedelic integration, I think it should start with preparation. Like if you're if you're wanting to have an experience in like a self um, exploratory kind of um, therapeutic capacity, whether it be in ceremony or um, by yourself, you know, with a sitter, um, I think it's really important to look at your intention for wanting to wanting to work with a given medicine you know um journaling about that intention and um going into it because i think when you are in that state if you are able to remember your intention it kind of serves as like a grounding anchor you know you're, you're kind of like oh I, okay i remember why i'm here you know mm-hmm. and and it, it's really helpful in that way but also um I would say if you're going to do it um, outside of a ceremonial context, it's really important to think about your set and setting, like where will you have this experience? And I mean, set can refer to um, like your mindset uh, primarily, like in the moment that you're going to enter that experience. So it's like a short-term mindset, but it can also be like longer term things, you know, like throughout your life, like what it, what is there any like disposition that you have is there anything that you struggle with in a deep way and like the more that you're conscious about these challenges that you have I think sometimes the experience can be easier because um, I think the things that we tend to avoid in our lives um, tend to manifest themselves in psychedelic experiences. So if, there, if there's a part of yourself which you're like, you know, you know, evading or pushing away, it, it tends to kind of surface in that state. And so it, it's just helpful to have like, yeah, to have the willingness to look into yourself before such an experience and look at these things and embrace them also. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, like even the way you said that, uh, it's kind of perfectly encapsulates like what I went through, like during my like uh, st- uh, sitting with uh, ayahuasca, like over the uh, experiences, like the first two or three, I guess I would be like really nervous, really anxious going into the experience. And like a lot of times I would be like resisting, like actively resisting the experience. Like when I had sensations or when stuff that came up was like a little too much, I'm trying to push it away. Mm -hmm. But like after having a few ayahuasca experiences and actually realizing like, like just how profound it was and just being Mm -hmm. like, Oh, like this is like, there's something like so much deeper to that it gave me like a trust in the medicine and then that that trust allowed me to like accept the experiences as as they came up and just allowed it to be and that allowed me to like just uh you know get a lot more deeper like uh experiences and information from like the the medicine like what it's trying to show me and uh, it really did help trust in the willingness or the ability to learn to let go I think that's also a big thing you know it can feel so scary in that those states to actually just let go um so I also think maybe like you know practicing some kind of breath not breath well breath work whether it's kind of just meditation or just like learning to connect with your breath also before engaging in a psychedelic experience even if it's on such a rudimentary level I think in those states when things get difficult just remembering like oh I can breathe you know like I can come back to my breath and it's it's another thing that's anchoring and rooting and um yeah helps you get through the difficulty because 
you know you might have an experience where you're just like you actually feel like you're going to die and you know you feel your whole self-concept strip away that's what my you know first big psilocybin experience was and I've never had um, such a potent experience to this day even with other medicines I think for me just I, I was kind of gripped by this sense of well I, I went through a complete ego death or dissolution and um, as I felt all of myself begin to fall away and I, I couldn't use language anymore and I was trying to like express something even to myself out loud but I couldn't and um, actually you know my mother's brother one of them is schizophrenic and so I thought oh damn well I'm just going to be like be like him for the rest of my life you know I'll have this deep understanding of the world but no one will be able to understand me and then I then as I got beyond madness I was like well I'll probably die alone in this flat you know this today and like going (laughs) going through all of these things I think you just have to kind of surrender to them even if they're the most terrifying thing that you could imagine in that moment um but I've also heard like, um, I don't know if you know Synthesis Institute, but Dan Kaiman, their lead facilitator, I've also heard him saying like, maybe letting go and surrendering and like walking into the darkness isn't always the right thing. And like, he talks a lot about like, um, um, well, I guess faith informed um, psychedelic uh, therapy. Um, He probably doesn't use those words, but you know, so he was, I think he gives the example of, well, if someone's a Christian, like maybe they're not going to like go and embrace the devil or, you know, let go um, and kind of walk into the arms of the devil. Um, if that's what they're seeing, maybe they're going to pray. So I think it, that, that, that response of how to deal with difficulty in psychedelic mm-hmm. um, experiences could also just be faith and culture specific too. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And for me, like, learning to like just pay attention to my breath is what was what was my main anchor when those times get really tough but uh yeah like you said like if you do enough of these psychedelics like eventually you're going to have that ego death experience which is extremely tough to go through but can be one of the most like um fundamental changes in your life and just like it can be so good for you and healthy for you um but uh, yeah, even in those situations, like it does get rough for me when it happened to me, like it, it was really, really rough. And then like, uh, um, it wasn't even a surrendering. It was just like an acknowledgement of what was happening. And then that's kind of when it was on ayahuasca. That's when I just started like a really huge purge. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like, uh, yeah, I don't know, like, what, how, how do you look at the psychedelic world now, like, um, kind of like the culture behind it, where it's going, like, I think you're more in, like, in tune with it than I am. Um, what do you see as, like, uh, things that you're really happy about, or maybe things that you might be a little bit more, like, um, maybe not, like, averse about, but just, like, a little concerned about? Yeah, I think like in the psychedelic community overall I think there's just so many amazing like wonderful good-hearted people kind of working in this space and that's I think for me one of the greatest things I love about working in this space is that people are just very like genuine and wanting to do something good for the world and that's why they're so kind of passionate about psychedelics because they can they believe they can make a change Um, and so I think that's one of I mean the 
the people kind of at the forefront of this movement, I think generally are pretty good people. But I also think like as anything begins to kind of take, um, take roots in the mainstream, there's or like people just come in the space because they want to make money out of it. And I think the people at the core of the psychedelic movement, um, you know, they're, they're just generally like trying to push these medicines forward because they generally believe that they can be healing. But, you know, now you have like lots of venture capitalists in the psychedelic space and like big pharma moving in and yeah, people experimenting. Like I think DARPA uh, invested or like $27 million to um, looking at how to, I forget exactly what it was, but it, you know, how to make a, ver a tripless version of psilocybin. So there's a lot of like these tinkering with these substances and, you know, mm. for, and patenting also. Like I think people, there has been an attempt to like file a patent for psilocybin. And I think that's just like terrible yeah, and so bad. saddening because it, you know, like psilocybin mushrooms are used by the, the Mazatec of, of Oaxaca, you know, they're, and they're also indigenous to certain places in Europe. Like, you know, maybe we've forgotten those traditions like associated with those mushrooms. But I think that, yeah, I, it, I, I just don't want this movement to be like co-opted by big pharma and just the people with the money. Um, because I think to, like I don't know much about the cannabis movement and the cannabis space, but I think that is something that also happened to the cannabis space. You know, they're like this core group of people who are super like idealistic and really believe in the cause and really fight for it. And then once it started to like gain more traction, it's like all of the people with more money somehow like push those original people out of the movement and yep. kind of like um, co-op the space. So yeah, and uh, yeah, right now, oh, sorry. Think, oh, no, I, that that's the major thing that concerns me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, and, like, it is kind of, uh, like, interesting right now because, like, what you what happened to marijuana, like, you are seeing it happen, like, psilocybin, MDMA are the next ones, I think, on the line, and then who knows what comes after that. But mm -hmm. uh, you are seeing this, and, like, now we're talking about doing, like, psychedelic therapy, which, like, I love the idea of it and it's gonna like I hope like these kind of things like uh pr progress but like yeah one of my other guests was kind of like uh, she was telling me uh just the idea of just having like a therapist who's never tried any of these substances like mm -hmm. giving yeah, the, these also... yeah like giving these substances to a person to like do therapy with and it's just kind of like that in itself is just like a little weird to me <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think if you're going to be a psychedelic therapist, you need to have like the firsthand experience. I mean, that's a contentious topic also, because I think the way that the like medicine works generally, for example, if you're a psychiatrist and you're giving like antipsychotics to someone who has schizophrenia, like you don't try those drugs yourself. So I think the model that we have currently, like when it comes to psychedelics, it just doesn't no longer what it no longer works mm -hmm. um yeah 
I also think like, you know, I'm 100% for like the medicalization of these substances because I think like they can help people in so many ways. But I also feel like, I, well, I just hope that that medicalization doesn't kind of jeopardize like people's ability to use them, you know, without having like some sort of medical condition to start with. Like, um, like I'm interested in like humanistic psychology and how like, you know, the betterment of well people also. Mm-hmm. you know, how these substances can benefit me or you or, you know, anyone who so desires to work with them um, outside of a medical model, because I, I think that has a lot of value too. Mm-hmm. No, I agree completely. Yeah, I like, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see like the future of uh, like what happens with these substances, because it is... Uh... Yeah, these things are starting to blow up and you're right, big money's uh, coming into it. Like there's already like psilocybin and uh, MDMA stuff that's um, on the stock market, like you can invest in them. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, like even in that, when you're looking at that and uh, I got a little money in the psilocybin, I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> I don't know if that's it's right. Not or not. Bad. It's not all bad. <laughs> um, Okay, so before we, we're almost done here, but I, mm-hmm. I, uh, let's ask a little bit of a bigger question. I know this is a little bigger, but um, like I know with psychedelics, like uh, especially in indigenous cultures, they've always been used as like uh, kind of like a rite of passage. Like you get to a certain age and like now you're going to take these and this is going to help you like grow into that next stage. And uh, this is kind of what they've been used for like for like thousands of years in a lot of cultures. Um, now that you see like these um these substances becoming so mainstream and so many people are using them like uh, do you see sometimes like uh, i know like terence mckenna kind of talks about this idea but like do you see this as like kind of like a transformation for like maybe even societies or maybe like not just individuals but like just moving like a society to different uh places like do you see like this whole rise of psychedelics kind of like coinciding with like a societal shift i mean it's a really difficult question it is i I agree with that i agree um, with that (laughs) you know like for me i have a lot of faith in psychedelics but i i mean they are how to say they are the medium and not the message you know they're our allies and not the the end goal and I think that you know they they have the capacity to help us in a very big way um it's hard to say whether they are or not I mean I I think that there is this idea that in at least in you know the circles that I am kind of surrounded myself with that yeah like we're all waking up and um you know consciousness is shifting and all of this stuff and you know, I question, like, have people always said that? Or, um, you know, like, what, how can we, like, measure this? Or, you know, like, how, how do we know it's not just, like, we're only in our, like, small, small, like, social bubbles that this is happening? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's a general shift towards, like, spiritual practice and um, things like that. If you, like, look at, I don't know, some of Eckhart Tolle's videos on YouTube, you see like oh, millions of views. Like there are so many people hungry for a sense of spirituality. But I guess my 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 feeling is that psychedelics just they're one tool out of many, and like I don't think they're they're the only one that's going to get us there. 
but I really hope that they can like turn enough people on um, and just wake enough people up that they it's not even preaching a message of psych psychedelics or psychedelia but I think like at, at this point I feel like our planet is in a transpersonal crisis or a spiritual crisis and I like it's my personal belief that this kind of um, spiritual crisis has led us to being like on an ecological tipping point or where we are ecologically and um, I think for me that's one of my main things or one of the main things that I care about um, when I think about um, plant medicines and psychedelics because there is this individual healing that needs to take place but we we also need to heal collectively because like the, the future of like human civilization depends upon it, you know? Mm -hmm. No, a hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> that was a tough question, but you answered yes, uh, beautifully. I so tried. thank you. <laughs> no, that was great. Um, all right. Uh, so I only got one more question. That's the name of the podcast. So uh, Jasmine Verdi, God, yay or nay. I'd say yay. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I mean, I'm inclined to believe it just because, well, believe in God or just something greater, the great spirit or whatever you name it. Um, because I feel like that's just my genuine experience of things. Um, I think that this kind of greater energy or being or whatever you want to call it is just something that um, we can choose to interact with when we want to. And actually, if, we're, if we listen um, deeply enough, uh, we, can, we can hear it or experience it. Oh, yeah, no, uh, that's awesome. All right, Jasmine, thank you so much. Uh, you were an amazing guest. Uh, please uh, let my audience know where they can get a hold of you and uh, anything you want to promote, please, uh, please do. Yeah, well, I've yet to create a website. It's in the works, but you can follow me on Instagram, which is J-A-Z-Z-V-I-R-D-I. And then for the rest of it, I, I work for an awesome publishing company called Synergetic Press. Um, this summer, we're going to publish a really exciting book on psychedelic integration and um, another one, which is by... Um, Alexander Shulgin about the oh, it's called the nature of drugs so those two are very exciting and um, yeah if you if you stay tuned on my Instagram I post my articles on there from time to time <laughs> awesome and uh, yeah I'll uh, make sure to link your Instagram into the podcast description uh, but yeah I thank you so you. much Jasmine oh well thanks so much for having me all right that was another episode thanks for listening everybody Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram. Or check out my website, NewerKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up. And all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often. Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay! Warning.